wonderful people listening to Biodiversity right now. This special mini-episode is a hot science update to some of the information presented in episode 4 of this very podcast, Honey, I Shrunk the Rainforest. If you haven't heard the good word of seagrasses and the wonder therein, go take a listen to that first. Or stick around and learn a cool new fact about seagrasses right now anyway. I don't control your life. Be your own person, you absolute rock star. Either way, I hope you're prepared to have your mind absolutely blown as we talk just a little bit more about seagrasses. Wonderful listeners, I'm going to level with you. I didn't think it was possible to love seagrasses and seagrass meadows any more than I already do. They're carbon sinks, water cleaners, nursery habitats, and they help make the air what which we breathe. They're like superheroes, not to mention the sheer artistry of their ambient aesthetics. A seagrass swath swaying in the surge is something the most stoic sea dog might shed eye salt seeing. Alluring alliteration aside, I was wrong. Spoiler alert, it was totally possible to love them more. In a recent paper coming hot off the field from January of this year, 2021, gives us this juicy information. Digest this in your noggins. One of these seagrass species can also clean the seas of plastic pollution. I mean, what? How on earth, among all of the other things that it does, can seagrass be doing a better job than us at cleaning up the sea from plastic? To understand that, we need a little bit of understanding of how the species itself is unique among seagrasses. The study looked specifically at one species of seagrass, Posidonia oceanica, otherwise known as Neptune grass or Mediterranean tapeweed. Literally each and every one of these names is awesome as crap and fitting for this god amongst plant life. This species in particular is only found in the Mediterranean Sea, where it occupies about 38,000 square kilometers or about 15,000 square miles of ground. The leaves of this species are thin and can get incredibly long, uh, some of them up to about 1.5 meters or 4.9 feet in length. Each leaf flutters in the water kind of like a ribbon and are attached in clusters of six or seven to the rhizome by a clear leaf base. These leaf bases are super fibrous and attach the leaves to the rhizome, which then in turn connects them to the rest of the meadow. It's in taking a closer look at this base, also known as a leaf sheath, is where we start to see a cool difference. Now, most seagrasses have a leaf sheath, but Neptune grass sheath cells have a unique trait. They're lignified. In essence, this means that a big, complicated chemical process happens in the cell to molecules called lignols, and the result is a strong polymer called lignin that positions itself inside the cell wall. The cell wall already provides somewhat of a structural layer for the cells, but the insertion of this lignin from the lignification process greatly increases the strength and stiffness of the plant part. So the end picture of lignification is a more rigid, stronger plant. Lignification also plays a key role in the strength of wood and bark of the mighty trees, just for reference. So that's pretty cool, right? Uh, all of it means that Neptune grass has these super fibrous and super strong leaf sheaths. Now that's neat, but how does that relate to removing plastic, though? Uh, stick with me, I promise you the answer is going to be absolutely unbelievable. 
The next piece of this saga regards what happens to those leaf sheaths when the plant loses the leaves themselves. Every now and again, Neptune grass will actually shed its leaves, leaving the sturdy sheath behind. This sheath, if attached to a dead part of the rhizome, will eventually get buried in the sediment where it could remain for millennia. However, during that burial process, which takes a lot of time, mind you, wave action and other forces of mechanical erosion pick away at it, pulling apart one by one the rigid, lignified fibers that make up the structure. Eventually, the solid structure could erode away into something like a tangled mass of hair. These fibers can also get detached entirely, tangling up with other sheath fibers and getting tossed to and fro by the wave action. Here is where the plastics come into play, particularly ones that will sink in water. Seagrass beds naturally reduce water flow and turbulence and can act as a physical trap. Through sheer wave action, plastics may find themselves caught in the seagrass bed, and if they do, the heavier ones are more likely to sink when protected from said wave action. When this happens, plastics might collide with the knotted masses of lignified fibers getting caught and intertwined within the ever-growing tangle. Once caught by that fibrous net, plastics stand very little chance of escape. So from here, one of two things could reasonably happen. Either A, the tangled plastic remains attached to the sheath, and the rhizome, as it gets buried, sinking into the sediment where it will remain for thousands of years to come, or B, it'll get hucked right back out of the ocean and onto the beach. Okay, so the ocean can't literally form an arm and throw them back out onto the beach, but as it turns out, not all of these tangled masses of fibers and plastic stay attached to the rhizome. Some will detach, continue to relentlessly tangle, and by sheer force of wave action, form these ball-shaped agglomerates which are, quite hilariously, known as Neptune balls. After that, it's quite common that the Roman god's balls will wash up on shore, trapped plastic and all. Teehee. So, to sum up, the grass collects plastic in fibrous tangles of sheath net, which then detach, roll about in the surf, and then just get barfed back up onto land. The sea's just like, I don't want your damn plastics, what am I supposed to do with these? <laughs> and that's not the only mechanism of plastic removal either. The leaves of the seagrass itself, whose detachment started this whole affair, can form loose agglomerates of their own, known as racks. These racks will collect plastic while they're out being tossed by the surf, and can then be carried by the waves to the shore where they are beached, taking the plastic out of the water with them. The study estimates a potential entrapment and expulsion of plastics between these two mechanisms being as high as 867 million plastic pieces per year. Now, it's important to note that this process likely existed long before the plastic crisis. The floating loose leaves in the racks and the tangled Neptune balls both provide a unique service once they arrive on the beach. They can protect against erosion, provide food for beach arthropods, and, as they decompose, provide nutrients for beach plants amongst the sandy dunes. It's likely that these already occurring processes just happen to be able to catch plastics and spit them back out on the land. So then, what is the impact of this knowledge? How does this novel way of plastics movement actually impact the global plastic pollution crisis? The answer is, we don't know. Not yet. This study is fresh off the scientific press, and it even mentions that our understanding of plastic movement and pathways is incomplete. But it does discuss several key insights about the plastic crisis in general. 
Perhaps most importantly, it discusses the density of the plastics out there in the blue. When you usually think about the plastics crisis, you probably think about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. You know, that Texas-sized floating mass of garbage that circulates the ocean? While that certainly is a terrifying thing to think about, here's something even scarier. The paper mentions a growing body of evidence that the floating plastic debris, including that landmass-sized patch, might not even account for a fraction of the global oceanic plastic inventory. That is to say that, potentially, less than 1% of all of the plastic that's in the ocean is still afloat. The rest of it is all sunk into the seafloor. The study found that these denser plastics, the ones that sink in seawater, such as PVC and polyvinyl alcohol, were the ones most likely to wind up tangled in Neptune balls and washed ashore. While the lower-density floating plastics, like polyethylene and polypropylene, were more likely to end up caught by the floating leaf racks, though some crossover did occur. The study also found that these mechanisms were more likely to catch and expel plastic pieces that are on the smaller side, the micro- and mesoplastics below 25 millimeters in size, and less likely to catch what's classified as macroplastics, those big boys you'll see in the ocean and go, hey, that's not supposed to be here. With this in mind, you start to realize that nature isn't just going to take care of the problems for us. You know, these mechanisms, while badass as hell, have only been demonstrated in one species, and that species only covers 3% of the area of the ocean basin that it's in. Add on top of that that just spitting the plastic up on the beach isn't actually a solution? You know, taking the pollution and pushing it somewhere else doesn't mean it's not a problem. It helps, for sure, but then the question becomes, to what extent? You know, in theory, we could go regularly collect the Neptune balls and leaves from the Mediterranean beaches to remove the plastic, but because they are so expertly entangled, doing so also removes the natural nutrients and food that some beach communities rely on. So, what do we do? Unfortunately, the answer right now is, we don't know. Don't get me wrong, this is not a hopeless situation, and this mechanism from seagrasses is still both incredible and impressive, but what it means is that further study is needed to be able to determine actual legitimate conservation actions. So please, whenever and wherever you can, support the science of conservation. This study is a really cool step in understanding humanity's relationship with the ocean and how we might be able to better manage and conserve it. And also, it shows once again just how vital and cool as hell seagrasses really are. So have you thanked a seagrass bed today? That's all for this mini-episode of Biodiversity. Much like humanity's collective understanding of the ocean's natural processes, now your knowledge has increased just a little bit. Level up! If you want to be a seagrass hero... I encourage you to do a little research and find a conservation organization that you can trust and support. I know that there are several out there, even some specifically dedicated to saving the seagrass. So go forth and do your part to support the hero we don't really deserve, but really need right now. And don't forget to leaf a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Or better yet, tell a friend who might enjoy listening to tune in and support these great ocean causes. Maybe, just maybe, that type of grassroots movement can change the world. Or maybe that should be grass rhizome movement? Thanks for listening, as always, you wonderful people. I'll catch you all next episode.